Hello and welcome back to the second episode of our Generation on Air for this season. My name is Alex Bullimore and I'm delighted to say that once again I am joined by Dan Lambert and Lucas Ross. Guys, welcome. Evening, how are we doing? Hello. Fantastic. And also joining us for the first time this season is Mika Chudley. Welcome. Hi guys, pleasure to be here. So there's plenty to talk about as per usual this week more than most. It's been quite a hectic schedule for the team with Middlesbrough, Barnsley and obviously Oxford as well. So we're going to cast our minds back all the way to Tuesday or Wednesday last week and focus on our away win up at Middlesbrough. Uh, it was a pretty crazy game. Lucas, if I go to you first, what, what were your overall thoughts about the performance? Well, I thought first half was diabolical. We deserved to be one, if not two, down at half-time. Millsborough bullied us. That they, they was getting decision in their favour. It was what I'd call a Warnock masterclass. We've had them before, but it's Barris' time to have them now. I don't know if any other more teams will get him because he's coming on a bit. Um, but yeah, I thought first half was pretty terrible. Second half, some... Some very strong words must have been said at half time because we came in that out in that game flying out the tracks. We get he thanks to a bit of who scored the own goal. Anyone when he's been who scored the own goal for one one? I think it was. Oh, I remember Johnny Housen. It was a Johnny Housen OG that uh, made it one one. Then. Then a couple minutes later, um, we, we just grew into the game and then Lyndon Dykes scores for 2-1. Then, then, the, then the Dominator makes a mistake and it gets punished for 2-2. And then Chrissy Willock, our, our man, our little, wiz, our little wizard, um, gets in behind the borough defence and nicks a 3-2 win. Would I say we deserve the win? If you want me to be fair, I'm going to say no. But because um, just looking at the stats, um, we probably had the more passionate performance. But Bar outperformed our xG massively. We had like 0.57 xG and scored three goals. So that proves that once again, xG means nothing. But yeah, and I thought good spirited performance and. Yeah, onwards and upwards. Yeah, uh, I mean, from what I saw, it was kind of a... I thought it was a bit more positive than that. I think the positive that we can take away is that it's a battling performance where we still come away with the points, where there was a lot of things going against us in that game. We talked the week before about Hull, where we said, did everything really just go our way? Whereas... Against Middlesbrough, you've got the red card, you're 10 minutes added on time. And, you know, the, the way that Warnock reacted to everything just showed how frustrated he was with how well we had performed. So I, I, I wouldn't say, I don't think it was a negative, obviously we won, so it can't be a negative performance, but I don't think we were sort of as bad as you were suggesting, perhaps. Um, anyone else want to have any thoughts about Middlesbrough? Um, 
Well, I'd probably call it more of a, an ugly win in the sense that it was it was quite a scrappy scrappy game. I mean, it was we played we were poor first half as Lucas said, but um, second half credit to our character which we've shown so far this season that we can go out and um, come back from from slow starts. Yeah. Um, so moving on from sort of general thoughts, um, do you think there was sort of any any of the goals? Which ones would do you think were the most avoidable? Let's say, because I was quite disappointed with the second goal. Um, I thought Don Ball wasn't great there. But any of you guys think that like we could have been a lot more resolute in defence for either of the goals? Um, I think personally, both both goals on another day, neither would have gone in because. The penalty, the, the penalty decision was quite soft. Um, I don't think it should have been a pen, personally. And and the second goal, um, if Dominic Ball doesn't give the ball away in a dangerous position, then um, he punts it out of the pitch, um, and something happens in our favour. But yeah, no, I would say both the goals could have been could have been avoided. But with that being said. We Barra did have lots of chances, so that's fine margins, really. Micah, any thoughts? Right. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, people were talking a lot about the uh, the Don Ball goal. Um, he's a weird one, isn't he, Don Ball, amongst our fans? Because obviously, when he came in, very much a very negative reaction to him. And as time's gone on, he seems to kind of become a little bit of a cult hero. But. Um, Objectively looking at him, one of the one of the biggest issues I've always had with him is kind of sometimes sort of the Loffer words have that thing, don't they? That's a little plug for Loffer words there. Um, Don Ball ideas above his station. That is one of the things that does frustrate me about him sometimes. He often does try and do a little bit more than he's maybe probably capable of. Oftentimes I kind of obviously in that situation there. That's a simple one, in my opinion. Just get rid of it. But, you know, obviously, Warburton's all about playing out from the back, you know, building from the back, short, simple passes, possession football. In my head, I'm thinking, if I'm playing, in my head, just get rid of it, really. Get it out of there. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, definitely that one was the most avoidable, in my opinion. I think maybe if Don Ball looks back at that one, he'll probably wish you'd... Um, Wish he'd done something a bit differently. I just want um firstly on the the penalty, I agree partly with Lucas. I mean, it was slightly soft, but I think Fry wasn't going anywhere. I don't think Dykes had to pull his shirt. And it's just, it's just an obvious one for the referee. He sees the he sees the shirt pull and then he's gonna award the penalty. And um for the Don Ball one, it I, it was it was poor from him. He obviously needed to release the ball earlier, but I'm wondering in the back of my mind if it's partly a, a, a communication error from the from the side. We know um, our team's been quite quiet in recent recent years and without the likes of Charlie Austin on the pitch, I wonder whether no one shouted man on and he simply just lost the ball. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We're definitely one of the quieter teams. I think really in that situation, Mike is right, you just get the ball... And it's, it doesn't have to be pretty from there. I know you like to play out from the back, but it's just a case of get the ball and clear it as far as you can, relieve the pressure on us and just, you know, 
then you can attack from there. Uh, you know, that's what I was disappointed because he's a. De- I know you're saying about his ideas above his station, but at the end of the day, he's a defensive midfielder. And that's what defensive midfielders are meant to do. They get the ball and they win it back and then they move it on. And he just has that little sort of fraction of a second where he takes a little bit too long. And and he had his pocket picked, basically, on that occasion we conceded from it. Um, Moving on from the goals, there's two other really talking points from this game, I'd say. Uh, first one being the red card for Moses Odebajo, who's obviously served his suspension already. Got, what did we think about this sending off? Because we mentioned that things weren't quite going our way in this game. What, what, what are your thoughts about this one? I think both cards were quite harsh. I don't really remember his first yellow card clearly. Um, but um, one thing I will touch on Odebajo is that I think for the first, he was out of position quite badly, so we were always going to be exposed at back. Um, but I think that the re- the second one, he's literally just brushed him. He's literally just brushed him like that, and he's gone down. It's really soft. I think. I think only. I think if Olabajo wasn't on a yellow already, that one would have been a yellow. But I think. His second yellow was his second yellow was soft. That's all I'm gonna say. I guess it's one of these situations where why would you even put your hands on him? Like if you can see your kind of last man, it kind of goes for Dykes' penalty that he gave away as well. Why are you gonna even put your hands on the player? They're just gonna go down, aren't they? Um, but I think you're right with the second one. It's a bit definitely a bit soft. I don't know what you guys think, Micah. Yeah, no, um, Basically, just going to echo what you both said, and that yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit soft. And maybe two seasons ago, a season ago, he might get away with the second one. But I mean, Odebajo is a good enough player. He's an experienced enough player to just know you can't let the ref, can't give a ref the um, a decision to make in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Especially like you said, Alex, the Dykes one is almost carbon copy. It's a very light shirt pool, like very, very light shirt pool. Or stress. It was a very, very, very light shirt pull, but um, just can't give the ref a decision to make, especially when you're the last man as well. So, yeah. Um, the other thing Lucas was saying about like being out of position is that not just do we think um, a sort of vulnerability of the formation with the wing backs that you asking Moses to bomb forward, same with Wallace or whoever's playing left wing backs, and it's not they're not off, out of position because they're actually doing what they're meant to be doing. Is that, do we think there's a case in that as well? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'd, yeah, I'd say that we, we like to overload our attacks a lot under Warburton and we're obviously vulnerable to transitions. And I mean, when, when you got someone like Asaya Jones to Middlesbrough, had a very good, good, good game. Yeah. Um, so the second sort of talking point that I was saying um, is the Austin headbutt. Now, it certainly looks like he's not got a suspension, but we know from last year he did this similar thing against Forrest. He certainly, you could say he plays on the edge. He likes to sort of do the sneaky little fouls like this. I think Warnock predictably was up in arms at the time that the ref saw it and never did anything about it. So what do we think? Did he deserve to be suspended? And 
or was it absolutely nothing? Um, it was nothing much, let's be for real. It's what I'd call, it's what me and my old man would call tactical fouls. He's, he's done it to play mind games with the opposition to get in their heads and try and just wind them up a bit. It's, ne it's never worthy of a ban. Okay, it might be worthy of a yellow card if the ref sees it, but it's a tactical foul. He's doing it for the love of the game. It shouldn't be a ban. Not would would it be a tactical foul because he's trying to get away from him, isn't he? Like usually tactical fouls, sort of like fouling someone when they're sort of you're not the last man, but your you midfielder takes him down to stop the counter attack or something like that. But I don't, I don't know. It's just one of these things, isn't it, that Warnock gets absolutely irate about. But um, I certainly didn't think it was anything really. Uh, but Austin's performances recently, and I'm sure we'll touch more on it when we talk about Barnsley because he did score the goal there. But do we not think that, you know, Dan's mentioned him already as being sort of the senior player. This senior player in the side, not captain, but certainly one of the leaders on the pitch, should he not be more aware of what he's doing and certainly not being putting himself in a position where he potentially could get a ban for this, especially when we've got so many injuries and suspensions as it is? It's a funny one, because when he, in his first spell, I don't really remember a lot of incidents like this. I don't know if I'm missing anything, but I really don't remember him being sort of playing on the edge as much as he does. don't know if that's something that's kind of come, like, come with time, or maybe it's because obviously, like, this particular time round, he feels a lot more strongly about the club. But it is a weird one. It is a really, really strange one. Um I mean, you know, if you want to flip it on a positive side, obviously we're a lot more louder. We've got way more edge to us than we did 18 months ago. But I, yeah, it is a strange one. It is a bit odd. I have noticed that as well. Yeah, because I was just thinking about that Forest one last year. It just does, it wasn't something that needed to happen at the time. And yeah. I'm not quite sure, like, because you only ever see the, the close-up of this incident with uh, here in Grant Hall. I'm not quite sure what the wider context of it is and like whether he was that far away from the ball. So you can't really comment on that. But I just think that if he is going to be the senior player for us this year and he wants to lead the line, you can't be doing that and getting yourself suspended because it's just so stupid. And we don't have a, a, a strong squad. We've seen that with, with some of the teams that have had to be selected. Um, and he just doesn't need to be doing it. And speaking of weak teams and incorrect selections, we're going to move on to Barnsley now. Um, there's plenty to, to talk about here. Another um, really quite incredible game. And I'm sure anyone that wasn't a QPR Barnsley fan really actually enjoyed the full 90 minutes. But I can't say that for a QPR fan, especially the first half yet again, really disappointing. So a bit of a broad question, but where did it go wrong in the first half? Mm, I think... I think the lack of a I think the lack of a left back on the pitch um really didn't help our matter out at all. Stan, sorry to criticize him, but I think George Thomas was left hung out to dry um by the pesky Barnsley wingers. Um I think um putting him there was a mistake in the first instance. I was questioning it and hoping and praying to my high heavens that he proved me wrong. Proved me wrong, he didn't. And um, it was quite 
it was it, it wasn't pretty in the first half, and I think Wolves was right to act at the time he did with that double substitution on like the thirty five minute mark because it was seriously going to go wrong. And if he didn't make that a sub, then we probably would have capitulated and gone on to lose three, four, five nil. Um, and yeah, no, I think. Um, I think um, the lack of a left-back really let us down the first half. Okay, so if you're saying... So, having said that, who would you bring in to play instead? Bear in mind that McCallum wasn't actually fit. What would we? What would you do? Good question. I probably would have put... Bar, I, prob, I probably would have put Barbet left-back um, and gone to a back four because... Um, that because he's played left back in his Brentford days, he's not played there. Okay, he's not played there for a while, but could he still do a job there? Um, um, yeah, no, I think I'll put probably to put Barbet left back. Okay, so you would have gone with like it would have been Barbet, then Device and Dicky, and then Kakai on the right. Would it be? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Okay. I can kind of understand why Warburton wanted to stick with his sort of usual formation. He's, he is a bit of a stubborn manager and, you know, it's done so well for us in the past. But like you mentioned, I was really impressed with the fact that he did make those changes so early on. You know, that's something that he's not really been very good at in the past. He, but he recognised that we needed a change and we've got a point out of it at the end of the day. Um, Michael, would you sort of echo what Luke is saying? Would you change it? Would you have changed anything or would you have gone like Yeah, I think um, the, the switch to the back four was a um, very welcome change, I feel like. I think maybe, um, I agree. I think people say don't change a winning team. I don't know if I necessarily always agree with that. But, you know, the back three's worked for nearly nine months now. So I understand why he wanted to stick with it. Um, I also understand maybe not putting Barbe as a, left wing back I think maybe he felt like that settled back three he wanted to stick with that so I understand why he did that um I think as well quite early on you could see because I didn't I didn't actually watch the um borough game in real time and I missed the game yesterday so this is the only actual like game I watched like live you could see very early on we just couldn't get out like every time we were trying to play for, play out from the back we just couldn't get out and then we tried to knock it long and um, I'm sure we'll get to this point, but we don't really have an outlet, like a sort of pacey outlet up front to sort of chase those balls in behind. So um, quite early on, you could see we were, we were kind of struggling in that back three and Barnsley were just pressing us so well. They're such a very well-organised team. So um, switch to the back four. Yeah, I kind of agree with Lucas. Maybe it probably would have been best. Barbe left back, Kakai right back, and then um, Devise and Dickey. I did feel particularly sorry for... Um, George Thomas and Dozel, because I feel like they, um, you know, they kind of had to be the scapegoat for the manager's wrong decisions. I don't think any player likes being subbed off that early. But I mean, at the end of the day, once again, I think you just have to give Warburton credit for making the changes when he made them, being brave enough to make them before halftime, being brave enough to go to a back four. Um, you know, I, I don't want to do the whole cliche champion stuff but you know these these are the type of results that you need to get if you want to go up if you want to be fighting for the playoffs so you know I think I think we can all be very happy with that and I'm sure we are okay so looking at 
um, this game and this week sort of in overall. Me, Micah, you said that this is the sort of performance that really can change a season. How important could these two games be like in showing that we can actually go and get victories and draws from really bad positions? You know, how, how important is that going to be to potentially doing really good at the end of the, end of the year? Massive, massively. I, I don't want to overstate it because, like I said, we're four games in now, four games, I think. Um, so I don't want to overstate it because I don't want to look like an idiot at the end of the season. But, I mean, you know, again, these are the type of results you look back at. You think, oh, imagine if we dropped two at Middlesbrough. Imagine if we hadn't scored in the last minute. So, um, yeah, you just have to um, take take it with a pinch of salt, I would say. not Let's not get too big-headed about it all, but I think we can be very pleased with ourselves that we've managed to dig ourselves out of two very big holes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. Lucas, we mentioned him already. Austin got the goal eventually, but his performances so far this season... Are they up to scratch for someone that we expected, you know, quite a lot from? Someone that is quite a hero at the club, as you said, senior player. We take away his sort of antics with potentially getting suspended, but his actual performances on the field, trying to score goals. Has he been doing good enough up until this point? Oh, I think he looked a threat in pre-season. Um that there's definitely was that with his goals against Manchester United and Leicester. Um, Leicester goal finishing off a lovely team move. Um, I think um, his failure to find back the net in the first three, in the fir- in the first four games until the 90th minute of Barnsley. Okay, he didn't play against Hull, but that really should be. But a striker with with at this level um, with Charlie Austin's calibre, um, he should be finding the net a bit more. Okay, he's coming on a bit and um, he's he's gained a bit of weight from the last time since he was with us um, five, six, seven years ago. But I think um, he should be doing a bit better, um, to be quite honest with you, really. I think his antics, his antics aren't helping him at all. I think that three-game suspension that we faced, okay, one, two of those matches. One was against Borough, coincidentally, but um, we he he really should be doing he really should be doing a little bit better because um hope hopefully he'll, hopefully will come good and that goal in the ninety first minute will do his confidence good. Um, yeah, no, I think um, yeah, hopefully he'll be better. Hopefully it'll come good because of the goal against Barnsley and it'll improve his confidence and all that. So the last game that we have played this week was the League Cup victory 2-0 at home to Oxford. Where on earth do we start here? Apart from I guess with Rob Dickey's latest worldie in his one-man quest for goal of the season. Um, guys, who, who wants to take take that? I think I'll start. Um, Dickie's goal. Um, I saw on Twitter that it was a screamer, and then a minute or two later, I see it on Gillette Soccer Special. I've got COVID right now, so I can't go. Um, 
But yeah, no, it was a sensational thunderstrike, man. I don't know where he's getting all these goals from, but I I've wound up it, and I don't want him to stop. Um, yeah, well, he's apparently some somebody said it was with his weak foot as well. Don't, I don't think that's true, but if it is, madness. Um, but yeah, no. Um, um, it was yeah, it was amazing. So, um, oh, <laughs> I don't know what to make it. It was that good. Um, that's all I'm saying. You are. Well, in commentary, I just noticed on Twitter that um, oh, I forgot his name, but Andy Sinton and Nick London were saying we just expect this now, and it's rather nice, isn't it, to have a centre back who can roar forward from that position, pick the ball out of midair and then just absolutely smash it into the back of the net. Um, he's been absolutely outstanding this season and long may that continue because I think we all enjoy seeing him play for us and none of us are sure how long he's going to continue to play. Um, Dickie obviously is the main sort of man for us at the moment and the most obvious one, but Micah, you, you had a point about Ilya's chair. Yeah, no, I've been watching him a little bit this season. Um, obviously, he missed the first game because he was ill. But I've just been so impressed just by how his all-round game has improved. So, obviously, last season, there was a big thing about, obviously, um, the expected assist numbers and, like, chance-created numbers. They were all, like, way higher than the um, actual goals we were scoring. But one of the big criticism I always saw about him was... Um, decision-making, knowing when to let go of the ball. Um, a little bit as well. Um, I think the term was um, playing with brakes on or something. I can't remember. I'm sure I heard somebody say that. But all valid points, of course. But um, this season, I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking, wow, like whatever you've been doing in training, you are just much more mature as a player, much more refined. The decisions, The decisions are quicker and if there's nothing on, not rushing it, not doing anything stupid. So I just think um, it's probably time for our fans to stop underrating him a little bit and maybe just give him the credit for like what a great player he's turning into. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that his partnership with um, Woolock has anything to do with it that he's got slightly less of a burden now? Because he was definitely the main yeah, def- man last season. Definitely, definitely. I think... I think they both benefit from playing with each other, to be honest with you. I think you can see that, um, obviously, with, with creative players, a lot of the time, you know, not everybody's Eze. Do you know what I mean? Not everybody can, like, take the the brunt of being the team's prime creator 24-7. Um, they both, you know, they go through spells where they're both very creative. One's creative, the other isn't. You know, it's a, re- it's a really good partnership that the two of them are developing, and I think they both are really, really benefiting from playing next to each other. Yeah, they've been absolutely fantastic as a partnership this season and long may it continue. So, as we said, we won uh, against Oxford and now we're into the next round safely through. The, the draw is later on this evening and, you know, the endless questions now that the big boys, as they say, have entered the competition Um who do we want to get? Dan, who would you like to face in the next round? Um, well, 
I'm not going to be picky. I'll take, I'll take any Prem side, to be honest. I mean, but I realistically keep expectations low because somehow we'll probably get a Cheltenham at home or something like that. See, I don't, I don't mind the Cheltenham at home. I want to go as far as possible. I know our squad's a bit stretched at the moment, but I, I just want us to keep winning. Like, you know, it's infectious. And you saw last year, Brentford managed to get to the semi-finals and still win the playoffs as well. So they played a hell of a lot of games with, I don't quite know what their squads was, squad was like last year, but, you know, that is an impressive thing to do. Um, I see no reason why, considering that this is round three, so you're only, you know, it's round four, then it's quarterfinals. We're not far off from getting to the final stages of the competition. Uh, Lucas, who would you like to see us get in the next round? Or from I've been doing some digging, so I'd like one of the big six. Um, um, at at home, of course. Um, I'd like one of the big six. Um, Chelsea especially. Um, or Oldham or Cheltenham. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Oldham or Cheltenham would be nice. Um, on the base that that those the those are both of the League Two sides left. Now what? Just get a League One side and and lose. <laughs> That'd be so typical. But I'd love a Prem side, definitely. I'd I'd love any so any top half Prem side would be fantastic. Okay, brilliant. So moving on from uh, Oxford at home, we've got one league game to preview this week, and that is the matter of playing Coventry on Saturday. Uh, Micah, pretty big changes needed probably from the Barnsley game. Starting with the the uh, starting eleven, who would you like to see come back into the side, and who would you like to see drop out? Good question, actually. Um, big decision for Warbs as well, I suppose, because I think you know it's kind of sort of a, a, a stick or twist. I can't imagine he'll um, go the same as uh, Barnsley. I, I think that's the last time we'll be seeing Kakai as a left wing back. Sam Callum's fit now, isn't he? He played last night, so I imagine I imagine he'll be in the squad. Um, I just got to stand the team, really. I think um, Barnsley was a bit of a red herring in that they kind of have us sussed out a little bit. They they match up against us very well. I don't think we should be too discouraged by that first half. I would pretty much the regular sort of strongest side I would go with commentary, barring injuries, of course. If Davies is back, obviously put him in. But yeah. Yeah, so uh, trying to look at who was available and stuff like that. Obviously, Wallace is out for a few weeks, I believe. Device is um, on the sidelines again. And it's kind of unsure how long he's going to be out for because he needs a scan, last time I heard. And obviously, you've got Amos, Field and Owens are your long-term injuries, though Amos is returning back to fitness and did play, I believe, for the under-23s or under-21s the other night. The big question, I guess, then, is Lyndon Dykes or Charlie Austin? Obviously, Austin didn't play midweek. Dykes had a chest infection, as far as I understand, and Warburton said it would be touch and go whether he would be available for this week. So, Dan, big question is if they're both fits, Dykes or Austin, who are you going with? Um, I mean, there's not much between them. They're kind of the similar type of players, but I think if I had a preference, it'd probably be Dykes. I think he gives, he gives you more in open play than Austin, as like we saw against Barnsley, where Austin wasn't really involved in the play, but came up with a the a last-minute goal. I mean, 
Dyke gives you that aerial threat a bit more than Austin, where we can we got certain avenues of build up. Um, and he's probably a bit better in, in his movement um, outside of the box anyway. So probably Dykes, I'd say. Yeah, I'll probably tend to agree with you, but that's probably because I have a Scottish bias. Um, looking more at Coventry, this is an open question for all of you guys. They've started the season really well, and I didn't quite realise that until I looked at the league table. They've got three wins and just one defeat against Barnsley. So going into this game, considering how well we played at home against them last year and how poor we were at, away from home against them last year, what do we need to do to improve and beat them? Um, and who exactly is going to be your... Who is going to be the main man for Coventry this weekend? I think, Dan, if you can go first. Um, oh, OK. Um, so, sorry, Lucas. Um, so, I mean, they're... They're quite a direct side. Um, they've had the most direct build-ups in the league so far in 11, quite quite a bit ahead of second place. Um, threats are Callum O'Hare, basically a Gre- Grealish-esque player, I mean, in both in, in looks and from his background. Uh, he's um, created the most chances per 90 with two, 2.75 per game, quite a bit ahead of, I think it's even Caviero, who's second best. Um, up top, they have Victor Guaycarez, a uh, quick, mobile, strong um, centre-forward who they look to go direct with. And they're quite defensively um, resolute. They've conceded the third-fewest um, shots in the league so far. So they're very, very effective in their in their style, and that's what works for them. Lucas, if you want to go? Um, I, I'd say t- two men to watch out for would be Callum O'Hare, Matty Dodden, and also from corners especially, Carl McFadden. Um, I say McFadden because he scored the winner against us last season, and he scored the ninety-sixth minute on the on the opening day as well. I think what one reason we should be wide is that um, two of their wins, especially at home, goals have come in the ninety-sixth minute and ninety-eighth minute. So I think we we need to keep. We need to keep going um, until the bitter end, um, or the not so bitter end. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think two to watch out for definitely be O'Hare and Gordon. Um, uh, Last season, I would have said Leo Estegard would have been a problem as well, but he's gone back to Brighton. But, so yeah, I'm going to say O'Hare and Gordon because O'Hare's got pace. He's young and. He's hungry as well, and he loves the club. And Gordon, we all know what Gordon's about, don't we? Let's be for real. Okay, and uh, Micah, anything to add on Coventry? Yeah, not much to add. Obviously, I know a bit about. I don't know a lot about Coventry to be fair. I know a bit about Callum O'Hare, and I think Matty Gordon scored the um, scored came off the bench, scored the winner the other day, didn't he? He's had quite a long injury layoff, so um, I'm sure he'll be hungry to get um, back amongst it. But I think um, it's not underestimate Coventry. I think they've only lost to Barnsley this season, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, and that's obviously, as we know, that's a pretty decent Barnsley team. So um, it's not underestimate them. I mean, we, we should expect to win, but, you know, it's not underestimate them. Yeah, absolutely. So far, they've beaten Reading, Blackpool and uh, Forest. And obviously, Reading and Forest is... 
as Lucas mentioned, the winners came really late on in the game. So whilst we've shown a lot of resilience this week, we've got to be finishing really strongly against them because by the looks of it, they're not giving up for anything. And with that, we'll move on to our final topic, so to speak, and that is everyone's favourite predictions. Last week, I think only Hugo, who was with us, managed to predict a correct result rather than the correct scoreline. So he's certainly leading the way uh, so far, and we've just got the one game to predict this week. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Uh, scoreline please for Saturday's game a lot of pressure and I'm almost certainly going to be wrong but I'm going to say 3-1 QPR lovely Uh, Lucas you go next mate eight wins I'm beast and leathern we're going to make I thought you were about to say 8-0 there that was eight. so eight wins I'm beast and leathern I'm going to say we're going to make it unbeaten in 12. It's going to be eight wins out of 12. 2-2 two, two draw. Okay, and Dan? Well, uh, Micah, Micah stole, uh, stole my scoreline, so I'll go for something a bit different. But um, uh, I'll go for a 2-0 win. 2-0. Okay, and I'm going to go with 2-1. So, hopefully, me... Dan or Micah are correct, and hopefully Lucas is wrong, because let's get go and get another three points shortly before the international break. That has been another Our Generation podcast. Thank you very much to Micah, Daniel and Lucas for joining me this evening. Uh, please make sure you follow Our Generation on Twitter at Our Generation Net and on Instagram as well, and on YouTube and everywhere else that we are. Uh, so we will see you soon, and come on you us.